back to another edition of the Power Podcast. It's another Hamish's edition. Unfortunately, he's back with the uh, real-life shenanigans going on with work. So, unfortunately, we'll be without our fearless leader. Instead, I've got Hamish joining – or the other Hamish, sorry, Ham joining me. Hammy, That's yeah. me returning from Magic Round. Oh, there we go. He got there eventually. And the infamous Alberto. How's it going, Bertie? Oh, I don't know what – what happened? I just five minutes before the podcast, I can't stop sneezing. Literally, I don't know what it is. So, uh, the Chinese flu. Ham Ham has the same symptoms as well, by the way. So, yeah. uh, clearly, two of the uh, unidentified COVID carriers in Australia. So, we're going to you know quarantine them and get them tested and whatnot. But meet me at barbecues galore. <laughs> it, it it is uh, worth pointing out that it is approaching the actual flu season. So <laughs> those sort of symptoms can probably be uh. uh considered more most likely to be the flu now that we're starting to get a, a handle on things here in australia but let's start talking footy boys uh round 10 just passed us magic ground uh i don't know if magic ground is probably the right way of capturing the uh the theme of the football across the weekend it was uh, pretty ordinary a lot of Simbin blowouts simbin round send off round uh the the big crackdown on high contact and and cynical or deliberate manipulation of six agains and yeah a lot of blowouts uh, for the Parramatta Eels, they did prevail, improving to a 9-2 record. They did so with a 34-18 win over the New Zealand Warriors. For the Warriors, it was Josh Curran, a former Eel, getting their scoring started, followed by Ben Murdoch, Masilla, and Reese Walsh. Cody Nicarima was perfect off the tee, three from three. And for the Eels, it was a good day for the forwards. If Nathan Brown starting the scoring with a lovely little work uh, play by Mitchell Moses, followed by Mike Acevo, a big Reagan Campbell-Gillard double. Love to see that. Ryan Madison getting the scoring started in the second half with Jacob Arthur going on to score on debut and seal the game in the 75th minute. Mitchell Moses going four from five off the tee before uh, letting Quentin Gufferson take the final conversion. A lot of concern over fans when he, he, he uh, uh, waved off that conversion to Guffo, but it turns out he just got stomped on his foot um, right at the end of the game and Guffo nailed that shot. Yeah, so in terms of uh, the team stats, boys, Parramatta dominated this one, 58% of possession. Uh, they had 32 minutes and 21 uh, seconds of time of possession, which is just under 10 minutes more than the Warriors. They completed far more effectively than the Warriors, 86% for the Eels versus 61% for New Zealand. Uh, they led in runs, all-run meters, and post-contact meters, but gave away more line breaks. Uh, Warriors with that real big sur- surge in the second half, taking that stat 7-5. to five. Warriors also getting more tackle busts uh, and a better average set distance, barely. Eels, again, slower in the play of the ball, but we know that means good things for the Eels some way, somehow. Uh, Warriors are more offloads. Eels with the better kicking numbers. Uh, the Warriors were a better team defensively, and that's something we'll talk about. The Eels did get a little bit lax uh, at times in this game, both through the middle and on the edges. Um, and probably the one that was the most frustrating for fans, and it tends to be the most frustrating stat, is the negative stuff. Uh, the Eels were far more uh, efficient in terms of the errors, which was reflected in that completion rate we just spoke about. Uh, but the Warriors, uh, despite getting dominated in possession and, and field position, uh, were ahead on the ruck infringements, which is kind of wild, and we'll, we'll talk about that one. But 34 to 18, boys, how did you see this one? What caught your eye? What do you want to talk about? Let's start with you, Bertie. Bertie? Okay. Sorry, I had, to, I had the mic muted. <laughs> I was going to have to audible to him. <laughs> I haven't seen um, this much people get off about uh, Magic Grants' Magic Mike, man. Seriously, like, everyone <laughs> up in arms about brouhaha, but, like, I don't know. This game, we dominated them in the first 20 minutes. You know, I was watching this at the club. Um, shout out to West Tradies, you know, new renovations. Um, hey, I was watching hey. at the club, no sound, so I don't know if it was a blessing in disguise, but um, I don't know who was commentating. But, um, yeah, we, we dominated them in the first 20 minutes, and then just – we couldn't defend them. They just get they got a lot of easy set restarts, and I don't know is it just an overreaction from the first two days and you know the first game. But you know how can um we had that many reset set restarts against us against us not one with Simbin. So you know I'm just glad that we could we dominated and 
if there's ever a game we're going to get screwed by the referees or win this game because apparently we got off the week before against the Roosters and cheated to win. But yeah, it's um, it was a good performance. Just, just they just marched up field too quick, man. Like I'm talking like 70, 80 meters a set, and you just can't do that, man. Especially to a quality team, and yeah, just um, we need to work on our defense. But uh, yeah, it was a good, good performance. Uh, any individual players you want to talk about, Betty, or was that just more of the, um, the collective? Well, individually, um, I thought uh, Moses once again. Look, I, it's like I don't want. I hate. I don't want to keep saying about NFL related, but he's like unguardable. Like there's there's no no answer to tackle him. And people say, oh, Tedesco or Tabrovic are hard to tackle. I'm not talking about breaking. I'm talking about like how he shifts, like um, his speed. You know, his hips and like. There's no um, you can't rush at him because he'll just step you, and it's just he makes a lot of people look stupid. He is very good at punishing shooting defenders. That's for certain. He is, uh, like you said, he's got that short area quickness to to beat that man, and then he's very quick in summing up what his best option is, whether it's to link up with someone else or get to the kick or then you know press on with the attack with the ball in hand. So that's a very stupid point, Bertie. He is uh, always been good at that, but I think that the ability to round out his game in recent times and the calmness under pressure has taken that aspect of his game to another level. Well, look, you look at him, you look at his, his best attributes, it's his running, and you think, okay, well, he's a perfect 5'8", but he's more, he's, he's a halfback, he's more structured and organizing, like, that's what's like, it's one of those ones, like, you look, look, and, and the only reason I'm saying this now, because um, some, for some reason, uh, Chris Sando, montage, <laughs> he did, and that was the ultimate, like, creative guy, and we try to make him structure. Uh, and we're doing this with Moses and it's working. And- I think Sandow might have popped up on YouTube due to related searches after he put his hand up for a return to the NRL and people going back and looking at him on YouTube. So that's probably why the algorithm got Chris Sandow back up on the related videos. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but like- Mitchell Moses, outstanding birdie. Uh, started the game brilliantly with that incredible little run and backhand flick to put Nathan Brown over. And uh, not he didn't ice the game single-handedly because obviously the Jake Arthur try contributed significantly towards that. But there was that little moment at the end of the game where he was shaping up to the right, thinking of kicking crossfield to Wanga or, or Ferguson. And then he, he just calls the audible on the fly, sees that uh, Reese Walsh, who I believe was at fullback at that point in time, and just overcommitted a little bit to that side. Just rolls the grub kick in for himself, gets the line drop out, and really ices the momentum for the Warriors and puts the Eels back in the box seat. So another great he game. Does that, he does that quite a bit where he's looking one way, but he knows he's doing something different. Like, you know, he looked like even um, we person, someone posted the Discord that one pass he did to Will Smith a couple of years ago. Like, you know, everyone loses their shit about Nathan Cleary. Moses does, you know, very similar. He doesn't get much, like, um, not on the spotlight, but like, you can tell, like, if you're looking at his eyes, you're screwed. You have to literally look. At his legs. Yeah, he's, he's sending mixed messages deliberately to the defense. And like you said, Bert, if you're watching where the eyes are going, you're being deceived more often than not. And you've got to look at the other uh, body language indicators, whether it's his hips or shoulders or the ball. And so, yeah, he's doing a very good job of that. Was um, voted the player materials player of the round on the website, I believe, which is very justifiable reward there for a great game. Uh, Ham, obviously, you would have been impressed by Moses, but who was there alongside him that you want to talk about? The thing, I, I think. That opening 20 minutes, I want to talk about the opening 20 minutes. Cause that was, a, go start with that then, that's fine. That was 10 out of 10. You're not going to see better football than that across the year, I don't think, for a 20-minute period. I think what let us down was the fact that we turned off the in- or turned down the intensity a bit too early. I think, you know, we're up 24-0. We probably thought, ah, oh, Warriors aren't going to score 24 here. And eventually they didn't, so we were right in that instance. But I think if we, if we need to, if we want to, um, win the competition this year. We need to be able to, like, even just these lower teams is keep that intensity for 30 and 40 minutes. Because I think if we kept that intensity up for 30, 40 minutes, yes, we did have uh, two dubious tries disallowed, but 
I think we could have cracked 60 in this game. So that's sort of where, I, if I'm going to give a shout out in that instance, it's Junior Paulo, it's Regan Campbell Gillard, it's uh, Ryan Madison, <coughs> Isaiah Papali'i. I think those four were huge contributors to us, um, not only making meters, but getting up, smashing the Warriors and making sure. Oh, and Nathan Brown, of course, mm-hmm. and getting up and smashing them in defense so they lost the ball so they weren't able to. Because the Warriors. I think are the best um, set completion team. They're, they're, if not the best, they're right up there. And we actually dragged their numbers down significantly in that game with the ability to disrupt what they were doing for the most part. Uh, but yes, they, they obviously had the uh, first time in the NRL era to have a perfect game uh, with like, I think it was like 40 or 40 sets a few back a few games back. So they're a very competitive outfit. And it is worth mentioning that that is their most significant loss of the season, I believe. They've been you know right in every contest prior to the game against the Eels. And obviously they got within 10 points before Jacob Arthur took the game away from them. But the Eels really knocked them on their back feet in that back feet in that opening stanza uh, before they fought their way back into the game. So, yeah. The reason why they're competitive in every game is because they have that high set completion. Um, it's currently set – or it's tied for first currently, 81%. So I'm assuming they would have been first in this game. So the reason why is their big forward pack gets on a roll and they just hold the ball a lot. So I think that – our starting forward pack really need to be complimented there for um, their aggressive their aggression. Um, yeah, just making the meters, preventing the Warriors from doing so, and um, that really did set up set us up for the win that first twenty minutes. And yeah, is it just is Sorry. it just me or was this the one game where Papali'i wasn't as effective? Like it just seemed like they were going to make a point. We're not going to let him have, go off and sh- look us make us look stupid because. Every time he ran the ball, he had like three or four in him. They they put they put numbers on him big time, and he still got. 17 runs for 153 metres and a couple of tackle breaks. Uh, so he was still very productive, but it wasn't as do- I mean, dominant. It was still a very strong performance, but it wasn't as eye-popping in terms of the, the actual TV eye test because uh, he wasn't you know breaking tackles and slipping offloads and scoring tries. But yeah, he still got his, but the Warriors definitely tried to wrap him up. That's for certain. Yeah, I don't think they were going to allow But then that allowed our right side. I thought that um, the return of Wanga Blake, Say what you want defensively. I think he's a little bit underdone. I think he's put on a little bit of weight. I think that's by design. Um, I just think that opened up that right side attack. You saw him running that unders line that Murata, you know, as good as Murata was at centre, he just didn't have the intricacies and the um, the finesse to his attacking game that Murata, that uh, Wanga Blake has at centre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And also, look where all of our attacking crossfield kicks went to. Yeah. We saw, we, saw, we saw a real really, shift towards that uh, option for the Eels for certain. And it, you know, it produced one try. It could have produced two or three tries. Well, it should have produced two if it wasn't for Matto falling at about half an inch short of a line. And then obviously later on we had uh, Furco uh, make a meal of that. And if it had gone up as a try, it probably gets uh, coming back, come back down as a try. And that that's obviously a, not, a, uh, not a flaw, but a quirk of the, uh, the video ref uh, system or process. But uh, in that case, you know, a bit unfortunate. You mentioned one of the returning players, him, and it is good to talk about Wanga Blake. Defensively, the right edge had its issues, but I think the the entire team had its issues defensively at moments throughout that game. And I thought the right edge also should be complimented for their scramble. A couple of times they either uh, saved the try or, you know, stopped the momentum on the back of a scramble. I think at one point, Jacob Arthur would have wrapped up or saved the try on the last, but it came back for a... Obstruction. Obstruction. That's right. Yeah, it wasn't. It was an obstruction too. Wonga Blake just got like run off the run off the field at that point. <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, mixed bag for the right edge and and Wonga quiet, but you know, playing within himself in, the, in return from an injury that we know 
uh, can be and very plus, tricky. You know, you look at that right side, um, young half on debut there. You know, they've trained it together in the off-season, but just that bit of experience using outside players, you know, and Jake's obviously probably going to have a, little, a few nerves there, just na- as you naturally would. So um, I think that combination will build over the next uh, two games that they've got there. But I think that, you know, don't discount. You know, I wasn't a fan of the Wonga Blake signing. Roll back the clock, to, uh, what, 24 months ago um, that we signed him, and I was not a fan. I was not a fan of the. I just think we need to settle down a little bit, take a breath, and just let Wonga Blake get back into the rhythm of things. And I think um, I, I said at the start of the year, I think he'll be one of the better centres in the competition. And, yeah, and, and further to that, he just needs a bit of time in general because we know how difficult calf injuries can be given what Mitchell Moses went through last year where you know he made his return from that preseason calf injury, played all right for a bit and then or played good for a bit and then went on full blown tore it and really struggled when he came back. He just was not the same player that year. And now you know, he's behind him, he's playing his best football ever. So yeah, give Wanger a shot there. And you know, should he actually not find his feet and not get back to his best and struggle? The Eels do have the luxury of putting Marati Niakoro back there after next round. So it, it is, you know, far from a lost cause from a team perspective, but I'd be willing to give uh, Wango a little bit of patience. Um, but he wasn't the only player to return this week. You already mentioned him in uh, passing hand, but Nathan Brown came back from a hip pointer injury after that awful cork from the uh, raised knee by Afasua Manafanga against the Dogs a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Browning immense scoring that opening try again for a mountain of work, 19 runs, 162 metres, a whole stack of tackles too. If I can just pull that stat up over here. Uh, and oh, only 15 tackles. There you go. So he didn't get through much defensive work on that game. Uh, but a lot When you of, think about it, when he was on the field. The heels were just balls, were just rolling. Yeah, exactly. So he didn't have to do too much defensive work, but brought all that energy that he so often does, backed up really nicely for that opening try. Um, I really, I, I really liked the workings of that opening try. I thought that was really cool. Uh, Eels, you know, have been trying to get that inside play to be a not a pet play, but a you know a, a regular function of their offense in order to keep the interior defense honest. And um, Mitchell Moses just executed that brilliantly on the day. So well done there. And from memory, I think it was um, Brownie actually passed to Maddo to get him one on one with his um, outside defender, then followed Moses for the next play as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Brownie featuring prominently during that opening stanza. The other player who really dominated in that opening quarter of play was Reed Marnie. He was like a puppet master out there, uh, really mixing up uh, deaf short balls with the bullet-like cutout pass to either Jacob or Mitchell, and also you know mixing in some nice runs. So I thought he was fantastic during that first. And then minutes. later on in the match, his kicking game. Yeah, well he switched gears, didn't he? You know the Eels weren't on full-blown, you know all-out blitzkrieg attack mode. So he you know changed gears, started finding the turf with the long kicking game to augment what Mitchell was doing with his long kicking game and really help control the game during the Warriors trying to make their comeback. So well done there. Uh, I think uh, it's it's almost upsetting at this point that Bryce Cartwright didn't steal the show off the bench for once. He's been on a real red hot tear off the bench scoring tries and being a huge factor. And I thought he still played a good game though. The uh, He got through, I think it was a team high four offloads, was it? Uh, where are the offloads here? If I can. Very possible. I just, yeah, I yeah, think four, off, bench- four offloads and, uh, but I think that the, the important part was none of them were stupid. And so even in a game where he's not blowing it open, he's still promoting the ball in a positive manner without, you know, endangering the Eels' possession or completion. I think our bench was a little bit weak in this game. They didn't carry on and continue that um, from the opening stanza there. So, you know, first time in, what, 10 weeks that our bench has been a little bit poor. And the Warriors have got a very good bench too, so they probably helped nullify that to an extent. Oggy came on and... and knocked Wade Egan into next week with an absolutely monstrous carry 
but then ended up dropping the ball. Sean Lane ran the ball pretty neatly for 114 metres off 12 carries, but then had a, a lax moment on the goal line, which led to Ben Murdoch-Masilla scoring. So, yeah. I was going to say, barring that um, bit lazy play, I think he got he got hooked straight away after it. So um, it wasn't missed by the coaching staff. Yeah, yeah, the coaching staff definitely saw. I thought that was probably Laney's best game he's had since twenty nineteen. His last two weeks have been very good through the middle. He's made that uh, borderline full time transition there now, and obviously gives the Eels the flexibility to play him on the edges from the bench. Should injuries or sin binning or whatnot facilitate that. But yeah, he's looking good for the middle, and teams are really struggling to bring him down. He's got that awkward long frame that ruck defender seems to struggle with. He gets for a lot of post-contact meters, fights to free the arm out. Didn't get any uh, prominent offloads away in that game, but you could tell the Warriors were struggling to contain him at times, so that is a positive. They'll come. He's looking for that offload. Yeah, and once we get Dylan Brown back and once uh, Guffo is able to work through the middle and not work out as the extra half because of you know all the <clears throat> changes we have at the moment, even though Jacob did a great job there, we do like to use Guffo on the edges heavily. Um, yeah, th- that sort of stuff will come. Um, but let's talk about the rookie, Jacob Arthur. Uh, played the full game, was heavily involved. The game plan did not go away from him. The Eels didn't try and hide him. Early touches, kicking the ball, early touch, running the ball. And in a way, he finished the game the way he almost started it. Second touch, he took on the line, big right footstep, almost split the defenders, goes on later in the game to attack down the right side, split the defensive line and uh, crawl to the line and slam it down before the cover defense got to him. Uh, what do you make of Jacob's debut, boys? Um. He's the uh, ultimate go- ultimate player that follows the game plan to a T. Like you looked at it, he did. He always he had the same play where he'll pass it pass it to um to the to the edge. I think it was um Maddow. Yeah, he, he was working very heavily with Madison throughout yeah. that game, uh, taking on the line often and finding Maddow yeah. on a short line, giving Maddow early ball. So that was obviously part of the uh, game plan from uh, the first minute was to link up between those two. And then you, and then obviously you see with the try scores. You know he mixes up. He doesn't doesn't pass it. He just dummies it. So like he seems like um, I don't know. As it's just one game. You know you guys have watched more of him. But like from what that from that from what I've seen from one game, it might be an overreaction. But he's like he sets you up for the whole game. And then when just when you you, you think you got his fig, him figured out, he's gonna he's gonna pull your pants down and then pretty much shame you because like that has been the story of his season in the New South Wales Cup. Uh, that is yeah. pretty much what he's done consistently throughout the first half of the season there, or, or thereabouts a little bit less, is you know playing to the game plan throughout that first 40 minutes, taking on the line, keeping the defense honest, working for his kicks and you know linking up inside and outside with the right men. And then in the second half, starts to take him on just a little bit more, gets in behind some sliding defenders and some fatiguing defenders and, and punishes them. So yeah, it, it probably was a continuation of what he's been doing in the New South Wales Cup here. Oh, absolutely. I think with Jake, he's a student of the game. And now, obviously, he's been um, fortunate enough that his dad is a first-grade coach, so he gets that insight. He's around that environment of going through video, going over players' weaknesses, going through your team's strengths and playing to that. And I think you can see that where uh, – and you did say that in the first 40 minutes. Like It seemed like all his job was setting up for that last try. You know, he was throwing, short, he was throwing early ball to Maddo and Wanga, um, getting them just – smash into line, but also they've got some very good skills getting early ball. So that's smart there. But also, as you said, he's got the, on the second touch, he had the big right footstep. It was all straight, direct, direct, direct. Um, and even on, you know, talking about um, that play there, uh, he uh, jagged a cross field to the right. A few sets earlier, a few plays earlier, um, he actually hit Fergo back on the unders line. So that holds the defense up. So that, it was all of his play was pretty much leading to for him 
to run the ball. And like actually, a, I was at like home. a boxer setting up for the knockout punch, right? Yeah, and I just <laughs> when he was drifting across it, I went. Take it yourself. And then that's literally when he threw the dummy and then just put his head through and scored. And I just thought, well, everything that he has done so far in this game has led up to that moment. And it set up the singular most iconic moment of Magic Round across the eight games as Brad Arthur in, in a very rare moment that, you know, he he's obviously, uh, you know, every coach is an emotional to a degree, but like so many NRL coaches, doesn't give away too much when he's in the box. You know, you can see him mouth the odd curse word and whatnot when things go right. But when his son scored, Brad was up there and pumping his fist and, you know, you could tell that it meant a lot to him. So that was really cool. And there was also some candid uh, post-game stuff released by the club today uh, between Jake and Brad with a couple of uh, doting pseudo-parents in uh, <laughs> Papa Lee and Marnie looking on as uh, the two embraced. And you could t- tell Brad, you know, welling up with some tears there because it, it was such a – a poignant moment for him as a coach and as a father. You don't get to see that too often in the NRL, so that was really cool. Um, it is worth mentioning, Jake, also selfless, uh, could have got a double easily if he um, just dummied the Ryan Madison and gone himself, but he gave it to Matto, scored once, gave it to Matto a second time, and he missed out for that try, so uh, robbed of a second try assist because Matto couldn't quite get the ball down. Did he fling it to Fergo as well? That is a good question. Was he the one that I fired it out the Fergo? Maybe. So maybe he was robbed. Of, maybe he was robbed three of, or four try assists. Yeah, maybe he was robbed of a few try assists. Uh, but uh, a very solid all round debut from Jake Arthur, and it really was to the script. Uh, you know, he wasn't asked to be the the dominant playmaker, but he still got heavily involved. He didn't need to be the dominant playmaker because he's got a Mitchell Moses and a Reed Marling and a Quentin Guffs in the team. Did everything he needed to do. Got through his tackles, even though the Warriors are throwing plenty at the Eels. Uh, like we mentioned earlier had an actual try save that was uh, taken away because the Warriors gave away a penalty. So it showed plenty of hustle. And uh, it bodes well for the Eels as he fills in for Dylan for the next two weeks uh, post-Magic Round and uh, gives Eels food for thought moving forwards. And I know that people already started the uh, the selection controversies about, you know, what do we do with Dylan if uh, if Jacob Arthur is a gun and, you know, do we move Dylan to the lock or to centres or to the bench or put Jake on the bench? Um and I say to that, that's a problem you deal with when it comes to it. If Jacob Arthur is good enough to be warranted, warranting first-grade selection, like the uh, Panthers with uh, Matt Burton, you'll find a way to get him in the team if you need to. Um, but for now, just enjoy the ride. Yeah, exactly. I just want to go back to um, the emotion and vul- vulnerability that Brad showed. I think that, you know, as a player, you'd see that and you go, you'd see the passion in not only, like, because this is Brad's club, like, it's his club he supported as a kid. Mm-hmm. So you can just see that passion. And as a player, you'd see that and everything. And, you know, his coach, Jake, from Rousey Rhino is what, they were under 12s or something? Yeah. And th- that's so I whole- imagine that, you know, there's three more going to be playing reserve grade this week in, weekend in um, Sean Russell, Will Penasini, mm-hmm. and Sam Luizu. So he's known all those boys since they were 12. So if they eventually make it to first grade, I reckon you probably won't see that sort of emotion, but I reckon you'll see Brad sort of – get a bit more fired up and pumped up over their debut just because he's known these kids for so long. And speaking of those boys, it was really cool to see them in the crowd celebrating Jake's uh, successful debut uh, full-time or post-full-time. He was up there. He got absolutely moored. I think he ended up – I think <laughs> the, in one of the, the post-game review things, they ended up said he got, a, he got a split lip or something. They were celebrating <laughs> so vigorously with him giving you know hugs and whatnot. They ended up busting his lip. So uh, really cool to see. Oh, another, some- bloke to, another person to see up there was uh, Jake's grandfather, Ted. I know uh, we've been fortunate enough to speak to uh, Jake's grandfather there a couple of times at the junior grades. And, um, yeah, he's been along for the ride the whole time mm-hmm. as well. So imagine it would have been pretty emotional for him seeing one of uh, his grandchildren 
play for the club that he loves. And, you know, you obviously in the lead-up you heard uh, Quint Guffson talking about how Jake has gone from being the, the team ball boy and, you know, being out as an you know an outsider, an offsider at training in the preseason to making his debut. And it's just been wild for him as a player and as a captain for the club to see that a young kid make that journey. Um, and then the other the other person that was in attendance right on the sideline there celebrating if his old man when Brad came down at full-time, well, before full-time, sorry, sitting next to Bryce Cartwright was uh, Matty Arthur, young Woods, uh, out there as the ball boy following the same trajectory as his older brother. So, yeah, really, really cool to see. Uh, it happens so rarely in rugby league. And I know we, we've got two of them at the same time at the moment between the Cleary clan and the, the Arthur clan and almost three if uh, Flanagan gets back in as a head coach. But it, it is a very rare thing to have in the NRL and it allows for some very powerful moments. So well done to Jake, well done to Brad. Uh, a huge moment for both him and the club. And yeah, it really sets up a, a good uh, fortnight for the Eels as a, uh, because the, I liken this three weeks stint as the perfect debut window for Jacob Arthur. You know, going the full season probably burn him out, but having a little slice up to a month of NRL football really allows him to accelerate his development and he knows what, you know, is going to be asked of him long-term now. Yeah, and I think that uh, the next thing they need to do is win a premiership together oh, at that, the Eels. That, that's right, win a premiership at the Eels, set up the dynasty, baby. Let's win multiple premierships. <laughs> but, yeah, anything you want to talk about, boys? I mean, I know it's, we sort of loosely mentioned the officiating NRL cracking down on head-high contact, cynical six-agains. Uh, it actually ended up that the Eels and the Warriors were the only game where there was no sim binning or send-off, so well done to both teams for that. I thought the game was played in a really good spirit for the most part. There was uh, very little niggle, very little uh, foul play. I think the Warriors end up copying a, a pretty dud penalty at some point for a high shot that clearly bounced up off the ball, and that was the the extent of the, the negative uh, high shots in our game. So well done. Oh, Mitchell Moses also got done for uh, a bit of a phantom high tackle on a, on a cover tackle there where he might have you know, got a fingertip to someone high. So, yeah, well done to both teams. Um, you know, NRL is obviously on a mission to uh, up player safety in terms of concussions, and it's caused some controversy. And there were some unfortunate sin binnings, I feel like, Tyson Gamble, uh, Lachlan Burr. But at the same time, there was some, some of the most moronic send-off material I've ever seen. I, I don't know what uh, Herman SASA was thinking. I don't know what uh, Tyrell Fumiano was doing. Just And, and even uh, the other Papali'i, uh, Josh Papali'i, like just – those instances, there's no defending them, regardless of where you stand on the crackdown. Can I just say, Tedesco's such a big bitch, seriously. Well, yeah, like- that, that is an issue in and of itself. It, the whole diving at players waste while you're running the ball. That Trent Robinson, who I thought interviewed pretty strongly on 360 in general about the whole uh, need for player safety in the crackdown, he really skirted around that one. Um, Tedesco he, needs to do something. He literally something. squats when he yeah. braces for impact. And, like, what are you, what, what are you supposed to do, like... Yeah, it, 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 it is an NRL, issue. I'm a note, if I'm in the NRL, I'm making a note right now for future references. If he comes back and tries to sue the NRL when he's retired for his um for concussion, I'm going to say, mate, it's your running style that contribute contributed to it. And you look, you look at the first time he did his knee. He does that whole like I don't know what he gets. Well, like, the, I don't know if, his knee is actually the reason why he has that new running style. Uh, when he blew out his knee the first time, he was wearing the long studs, and ever since he's moved to either short studs or blades and refuses to ever wear long sides again because it, it catches his foot in the ground and is what he believes contributed to his knee issues. So now he wears the loose like loose gripping shoes and it allows him to slip and slide and fall over. And because he's got an incredible sense of balance and recovery, he makes the most of out of that ability to break tackles. But it also has led to what we now have with players getting sin because he leads of his head at, at players' waists or, or you know, midriffs. So, Tell you that, what, if I was the Brisbane Firehawks or the Redcliffe Dolphins or the Ipswich Jets – 
or whichever uh, expansion team's going to be in next. The first player I'm signing is Chris Sando, <laughs> and I'm putting out a mission statement to say he is the tallest player we're signing. <laughs> maybe maybe Chris Sandow, you know, instead of making a meme himself, he saw the crackdown and said, you know what? My time is now. You know, I'm yep. going to start playing the John Cena music because I am the shortest halfback going around. I will get penalties and get players sin-binned and sent off. Yep. And <laughs> if I'm a club, I'm not buying anybody taller than him. Forget Sean Lane. Forget Nelson and Sofa Solomona. <laughs> you know, you, they're, you want- they're, they're liabilities now because they're too tall. Yeah. Hang on, you're telling me Luke Brooks is going to be in demand right now. No, he's too tall. He's too tall. Chris Sando's the tallest player you want. <laughs> uh, Reed Marnie stocks are booming, by the way. Not only is he killing it on the field, he's now one of the shorter hookers going around. <laughs> Reed Marnie's like Dogecoin, man. He just, you know, it's going to be me, but, mate, he's legit. And Elon Musk loves him. <laughs> so uh, Parramatta's win, their ninth of the season, lifts them to a 9-1 and one record. They are outright second on the ladder. Provisionally first for at least a, a game in that round while they're waiting for the Panthers or equal first, waiting for the Panthers to play the Titans. And it turns out that the Titans, A, suck, and Penrith B, a really good team, which we all knew they are. <laughs> with uh, 12 men, uh, with one player in the bin, they absolutely eviscerated the Titans. Yeah. That, that was just embarrassing for the Gold Coast franchise. It was an embarrassing weekend for Queensland rugby. Uh, let's bring back the New South Wales Rugby League and we can throw in the Storm and the Warriors. They're okay. But uh, get rid yeah. of the QRL, boys. I mean, we could do like the whole relegation thing and have them. Well, you know, I, it is a stupid argument, but geez, these results are giving the, the relegation uh, truthers some material at the moment because there's some bad losses going on. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I think they called the match around the, the Canberra Raiders Canterbury Bulldogs game because it was the closest and that was a bludger. So that sucks. That, that yeah. day was the worst day. Like, if you look at like the matches, like Canberra v Bulldogs, oh, and then what was the middle one again? It was. Um, that's how bad it was. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. It. And, and then the last <laughs> one was Roosters v Cowboys. Like, out of all the days, like, there's one there's, there's one genuine. Sharks, um, Sharks Rabbitohs was, was the um, other game in there where. Yeah, like, yeah. The, just the team that didn't score any points. Like, it just seemed like it was like the worst day. Like, you could have had put us on a Saturday because we are the draw card. You know, we are a big team. Put, and then have Penrith the next day. Like, I don't know. Like, if I'm, if I'm Peter Valenti's BVL, I'll, I'll make sure to put Parramatta on. Let's be honest, right? Without sounding arrogant or, you know, or cocky, we are a draw card, you know. Everyone wants to watch us play, you know, and just like Penrith, everyone's watching them play. So make us the marquee, you know, game of the day, not like share it with Storm and the Penrith Panthers. Like, it's just so stupid. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, talk about Saturday, but not the NRL. Um, and that's not a professor joke right there for those that watch Fox Sports. Uh, there was a doubleheader out at Ringrose for the Eels with the New South Wales Cup actually going first and not second. They were the curtain raiser game on the day. Um, in that game, Eels taking on the Raiders in the uh, rescheduled match from the washed-out round two action. So this was actually a buy for both grades in Flegan Cup initially, but uh, those games that were rained out during that real stormy weekend uh, being put into this slot. Uh, Eels eventually winning 26-24 with a last gasp try by Michael Oldfield in the left corner. Uh, for the Raiders, it was a Xavier Savage hat-trick and a Manezi Caho double. So the two wingers getting all the tries for the Raiders. Brad Schneider, who's making his first grade debut this week, uh, adding just two from five from the kicking tee. For the Eels, Sean Russell started the scoring. Kai Rodwell was up next. Hayes Perham, Lalatol, Mata Arfa, and the aforementioned Oldfield with the game winner. Jordan Rankin going three from five off the tee. Uh, this was uh, not the Eels' best game, Ham, in terms of their performance on the field, but they did enough to get home, um, and it was exciting during that run. Oh, for sure. I think 
Actually, there was a few tries for both teams. I don't think were tries, if I'm just being honest here. Yes. Um, but yeah, when you win with two minutes to go, and uh, where I was sitting, had the Canberra Raiders um, bench in front of us, and uh, that when Xavier Savage scored his third try of the game, they're up cheering and let's go and all that. Um, who says let's go in the NBA? What's his name? Oh, what? Don't worry. They were just cheering and everything. And then when we scored, it was good to just sort of get get up and sort of thing like that. Um, <laughs> I just, the player of the game to me was Makasi Makatoa. Oh, without a doubt. His numbers are just insane. 24 yeah. runs, 228 metres, 44 tackles. Um, he had a ton of post-contact metres, 98 of them indeed. Uh, where's the tackle bus that uh, they don't – they've got it now for free tackle bus, but it felt like he had more. Uh, he yeah, was, he did the whole game because he come off – come onto the bench at one point there, so – he had played all eighty minutes, which he probably could have. Couldn't have, you know? The numbers there, he probably would have been pushing up three hundred. He's and he's so. been so good every game of the season for the Eels in reserve grade. And uh, turning twenty, he's turned twenty eight this year, so he's not young. But he's a player that you know injuries during the Origin period, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him because he's now eligible to play post round ten. Um, he's a guy that wouldn't be uh, out of sorts in first grade for at least a relief role. Oh, sure, you know, I don't think. Um, just he seems like a, an Andrew Davy type character. Yeah, that's a good good comparison. He's gone through all the struggles and just been just kept going and going and going. And um, that game might have been the one where they said, "Hey, pick me." Yep, that is a very good point. That that might be the tipping point in terms of where he sits on the depth charts because he's been very good all season. But geez, he went to another level in that game. And the, the interesting thing was he played as a prop, but they used him extensively down the right edge. Like they gave him a license to really get out there and attack out wide, and he did it very well. Uh, looked uh, very powerful, uh, shook off defenders, and really carried a lot of defenders throughout that contest. So well done to him there. Um, other players that stood out for me, um, well, the Eels had to go. It was a bit of an odd game because uh, Lola Tolmata Arthur named on the wing to start, but there was a, a big reshuffle as uh, we saw Joey Lusick named the halves, actually shift the dummy half. Nathaniel Roach fall back to. Uh, the interchange bench, and uh, we had Matt Arthur on the one wing. Uh, sorry, Matt Arthur coming to five eighth, and Harrison O'Toole go to wing. Even though it was named a hooker on the the tip on the sheets here, uh, so the Eels really had a big reshuffle there. And I don't know what the uh, the the gist of it was, but um, it it led to some jankiness and attack. And part of that was missing Jacob Arthur, who was uh, a very much a player that oils the wheels there and keeps the team ticking over nicely in conjunction with Jordan Rankin. But yeah, uh, big reshuffle for the Eels contributed somewhat to their struggles. Um, aside from that, you know, there were some solid performances. Wiram McGreg was all right. Uh, Elsgaham was okay. Kai Rodwell. Um, Michael Oldfield continues just to be sort of that player that, you know, if Wango Blake doesn't um, pick up his form in first grade, I think the performances that Michael Oldfield's brought to reserve grade, I'd, you know, he probably won't be the best centre out there, but I don't he'll think do a he'll, job. Um, he won't lose you a game. Yeah. Uh, Kai Rodwell scored a nice try. Uh, got another 150 metres to his name. He's been in, we've spoken about him before, but he's been very good for the Wente, uh, Wente Eels in reserve grade. Hayes Perham starting to set on to fullback, which is nice. He had some yips a few weeks back against Mounties uh, and has since started to look really comfortable under the high ball. And that's something that's worth mentioning. I don't know what was going on with the Raiders, but they didn't want to take a high ball that game, Ham. And that really that really turned the game. There was a, I think, 60s quarter on our cast. There was a Bermuda Triangle on the sideline stand of the field going towards the posts. There was just like an area of the field that no team wanted to touch, but especially the Raiders. Any, and we're talking like regulation end over end bombs. So I don't really know what was going on there, but the Eels profited off it a couple of times, and it really helped turn the game uh, during that uh, run in the second half. All righty, so that win 
I believe, lifts the Eels up to third. Correct. So Eels now third on the ladder. Uh, five wins, three losses, two buys, four and against of 71, which is comfortably the third best in the competition. So doing really well there. Chasing the seven and two uh, Magpies and the eight and zero Panthers. So a couple of teams doing really well at the top of the ladder. Eels already met the Magpies earlier in the season and got uh, put away uh, just by the end. It was a high-scoring game there. Uh, Panthers will be coming up at some point, and that'll be the litmus test for the Eels. But doing really well in that grade, which is nice to see. Uh, the 4.30 kickoff following that was the Jersey flag, and unfortunately in this one, the Eels did go down to a red-hot St. George Illawarra Dragons to the tune of 32-12. to 12. Uh, For the Dragons, Tyrell Sloan, Trey Stewart for double, Alexander Lobb, Ben Arant, and James Schiller all getting over the white line. Uh, they had a couple of different kickers there. Connor Mulson getting three conversions, and Alexander Lobb getting one. I'm not sure who had the... Uh, Misses there, it looks like most of them were Mulesons. For the Eels, Oliver Clements scored a nice try from about uh, midfield, I'd say, about 30, 40 minutes out, with Caleb Toey also scoring a great individual try before going off injured, unfortunately. Schneider, two from two off the tee. And yeah, this was a game where I fought Ham. The Dragons were just too big, too fast, um, and too polished as a team. The Eels were really struggling to match the team-wide intensity of the Red V and we're relying on a couple of individuals to keep them in the contest, guys like Caleb Toey and Tarsi James, and it just wasn't enough. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, the Dragons' um, spine was just unbelievable, particularly the fullback. Trey Stewart was I think heavily, he's one heavily who, involved, uh, yeah. Not, not down in the little black book, Trey Stewart. He was, he was everywhere, and he was dangerous. Um, yeah, as you said, they were just too big. Uh, on the positives for us, I thought Tarsi James um, continued to have another I, good I want to see Tarsi move strong. up to Cup full-time soon. And, and get good minutes there because he's too good for this grade. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, who else had a good – it's very hard because the Dragons were just so good. I thought – Yeah, Luke, Luke Bain um, involved again, I fought, in his second game for the club. Uh, Loizu moving to centre had some nice moments. I fought Matthew Komalafi. I fought the two wingers, actually. Yeah, Toei was excellent before he got hurt. Um, and I, I believe it was at an ankle injury hand, but he was walking around after the game looking okay. So we'll, we'll get clarification from that from Joey this week on the tip sheet. Uh, but yeah, that was concerning. The other play that went down for the Eels was uh, there were two injuries for the Eels, Ham. It was. Jeez, this is really bad podcasting. Whoever it was, um, sorry, we've forgotten. Uh, Mark Tepu Smith, I thought uh, his passing and his just his size and everything opened up the game early for the Eels. The only thing with Mark is that despite his size and his ability to ball, well, his ability to ball play brings a lot of errors. Um, he tried to throw a, a yeah offload that didn't need to be thrown, caused an error. He was hooked. I don't think he returned to the field. So um, Mark, while he's you know very junior Paulo like, it, it's an important it lesson for these young kids to learn in that regard is when they can and can't push the limits of those passes and offloads. So I'm you know I'm not upset that they made the, he made the errors. Like obviously in the context of the game it sucks, but making those errors is what will lead to him being a better player if he takes on board the lessons from them. Was it Tavita Masmaham that hurt himself? I was trying to think. Um, Josh Chappell, by the way, made his debut in this game. Uh, probably a little bit overawed in his first flag game. That's to be expected. Um, he'll be a lot better as the weeks uh, go by and he gets some reps there. But the two players I also wanted to give a shout-out to were Matthew Komalafi and Fruin East Hope. Uh, Komalafi in particular had a huge game. Uh, I thought it was his best game he's had so far. He, he was, yeah, dominant. Uh, and like you said, Ham, easily his best game in flag. Some re- like consistently huge carries coming out of the red zone. Had a great little intercept later in the game. Uh, busted the line at one point um, and almost should have taken on the fullback himself and been greedy. But he did the right thing and linked up with Farlola, who was pulled down by the cover defense. So really encouraging to see Matthew starting to open up um, after a slow start in flag as he came back from an injury. 
And uh, yeah, the other winger threw on East Hope I thought had some great carries and at one point had about a 50 or 60 metre run between going north, south and east, west and ended up setting up a huge run from Kamalafi. So yeah, good from both of them there. And yeah, and and obviously for Samuel Loizu, uh, he gets a promotion out of his game. So they eased him back into flag for two games. He played wing in one game and centre in the others. And now he's on the bigger and better things, which is always fun. And in terms of the team outlook from this one, Ham, uh, they do, if I just pull up the right ladder, they do stay in sixth place. They've been in sixth place for a long time this season. Uh, a lot of action above them that's not impacting them, a lot of action below them that hasn't caught up to them. So uh, they, you know, they're still a ways. They're actually not that far behind some of the teams ahead of them now. But you know they've they've had a lot of volatility in the lineup, a lot of SG balls players coming up, uh, a lot of their core talent going up to cup or NRL. So they're sort of making do, rowing with all the punches from the the two grades above them. And that, my friends, is all the action out of round ten from all three grades. Let's take a jump across to the news section. A couple of things to talk about this week, boys. Uh, let's start with Jacob Arthur. Uh, the day after we did our podcast last week, it was announced that he was upgraded to the top thirty for twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. A fairly straightforward solution for the Eels. Don't have to seek any exemptions to play him for Magic Round, and he is now free to play as they wish to see. Uh, any surprises there, boys? Um, I I don't know if it's just because of Magic Round, but like I thought, um, realistically, ranking is the next half. You know, he's our backup half, so I was thinking, you know, he'll get the call up. So does this throw a spanner in the works? Does this mean? Uh, I think Arthur, I think he's just Arthur's, yeah. I think Arthur's jumped him now. Ranking so is he's half back three now. Yes. Yeah. Ahead of ahead of Wilson, because I think they view Wilson as I, I agree. I I think that if unless something happens cataclysmically bad in the next two weeks, um, for for Jake in terms of his form, uh, I believe that he would have jumped Will Smith as the pure halfback option for the team. Uh, that, and that's also a reflection of how much they value Smith as the super utility on the bench. Um, he is so valuable to the team in that capacity, and that's uh, you know a huge check mark against him. So yeah, I think um, Rankin, who's been good in reserve grade for the Eels. Uh, is now the emergency option. If something has gone really, really wrong in terms of injuries and suspensions for the Eels and the halves, that's when Rankin comes into the mix. So does that mean when Brown comes back, um, Jacob's going to be you know the 18th, 19th man listed? Or, yeah, or I, they'll I, be ranked? I'd, I'd say it'd be Jake, yeah. I wouldn't be shocked. Um, speaking of signings, boys, not official, but uh, Brent Reid, one of the prominent journalists uh, out of the Australian and a genuine NRL tipster in terms of mail, has reported as of this week that uh, he expects uh, Mitchell Moses to uh, do something that we probably didn't expect, but to take up his player option and sign an extension. So uh, Reedy's mail says uh, the one-year option for Moses to be enacted plus a three-year extension, keeping him to the Eels for four years total. Um, that's a huge commitment, obviously, uh, for both players and club, but also um, something that speaks towards how confident they are in that relationship, which is really good. Um, the other part of that mail was uh, apparently Ryan Madison will take up his player option. So a lot of the housekeeping getting done by both uh, Brad Arthur and Mark O'Neill. So well done to all involved there, boys. What do you reckon about those two uh, bits of mail? Well, you know, we're in a premiership window. We want to keep that open. Uh, Mitchell Moses keep that open. I think he's arguably the second best halfback this year. Second best half. I don't think that's an outrageous comment. Um, Nathan Cleary obviously playing some outstanding football, but our candidates being either injured, suspended, or not consistent enough. Yeah, so you know you're gonna you're gonna want to keep the second best half, second best half back in the competition. And um, you know, despite uh, what Jake has shown and what Dylan Brown has shown, Mitchell Moses 150 games will be pushing 200 next season, I, th- I believe. Um, so you know, just bring that experience. I think yeah, Mitchell's. He's now come into what people were expecting of him um, as a 20-year-old. He's kicking games on point. 
his running game. Put it away a little bit this year, but it's always there. It shows you how unfair the expectations are for a young player, don't you? That the Mitchell Moses we have now in 2021, who was an, you know, an iteration on iteration on iteration of himself from being tutored by Brad Arthur and, and Joey Johns more recently, uh, that those are the sort of expectations that he was going to control a game and, and be that week-to-week consistent uh, you know, playmaker and, and field general. And geez, you know, and we, we look at Sam Walker now and he's having a red-hot start to his career, but when the lull comes, and it's going to come, you know, what, what do they start saying then? Hopefully it's not the same sort of expectations leveled against guys like Mitchell. Well, that's the thing. I think that um, it's all developing. You know, I'm not sure how much time um, Mitch spent in reserve grade over at the Tigers, but um, having that 12 months in reserve grade, 18 months in reserve grade, is huge towards a player's development. It's just learning how to play the game. And I think, um, obviously, circumstances, the wooden spoon forced our hand to bring Dylan Brown up. But I think uh, the club would have preferred to have Dylan play that 12 months in reserve grade. Mm-hmm. It, it's a testament to uh, Mitch Moses. When he first came into the league, he was viewed as more of a, a raw prospect. He, he's got skills. He just needs to improve. You know, And his biggest thing that everyone kept saying was his defense. You know, he worked on his defense. You know, he's he's improved. He's he's not like Dylan Brown level, but he's improved. Like, you you look at him when he first came into now, not missing as much missed tackles, and he's actually sticking them. Then the next thing was his um his running game and his, like, his game management, and it looks like he's got that down pat. So, like, the good thing about him is we haven't seen, obviously, everyone's, the cliche, we haven't seen his best. We haven't because he hasn't, we haven't seen a full season where he's put it all together. I still think he has another level to go to, and, you know, like, you look at the... The other halves are like they're just like they're gonna stay. There's nothing to improve. Like look at Cleary. Like Cleary is a great halfback, but is there anything for him to improve? And when you start to be complacent, like you need to work on your game. Like that's when you start to take a you know a few steps back. And I think has, that yeah. it's a good point, Bertie. And I think that something that's not spoken enough about Mitchell is just how fiercely competitive he is. He hates losing. You know, he, he is always in there giving it everything, and he rarely gives up on a play if ever. He's always, you know, backing up defensively. He's always pushing ahead on his own kick chase. He's always there marshalling the team. And that's been part of his uh, a strong reason as to why his development has kicked on to such an extent at Parramatta. He hasn't been lax and he hasn't been sitting on his laurels. He's been trying to, uh, like I said, be an iterative, an iterative version of himself and getting better every year. So really exciting stuff. Uh, you know, the, the spoken money was, I think, a three-year 2.4 extension in terms of that uh, beyond the player option, which is just crazy value in the market at the moment. So that, that is, once again, uh, a vote of confidence from Mitchell in the club as well as an acknowledgement that he wants to potentially keep his team together. I think that, they, you know, in some of the articles leading up to this, um, read his mail, there was talk between himself, Gufferson, and Marnie about, you know, staying together and making this a, a super team, making this a dynasty. And that's the first step towards it is locking in number seven long term. So really exciting, really encouraging Huge vote of confidence between the head coach and the general manager, so both of them well done. And obviously all the support staff that help them with these sort of things. It doesn't just happen uh, between one or two men. So really cool stuff, really exciting. And yeah, it really lays the table for the Eels moving forward. So fantastic stuff, boys. I mean, Townsend's getting 600K a year up at the Cowboys. Yeah, that really puts Mate, it into I'd... perspective. 630,000, I think, a year yeah. for Chad Townsend, who is you know a, a decent player, but his best is seems to be behind him based on what he's been doing for the Sharks for the last couple of years. Um, and meanwhile, Mitchell Moses on the up and up with uh, you know a couple of great young halves to tutor himself in Dylan Brown and Jacob Arthur. Ooh, Does James Hooper know that he's, he's staying with us? Because I'm sure he said he's going to Brisbane. Well, uh, it was it was Reedy, Reedy himself, I think, that was really pushing the uh, Moses the the Brisbane Broncos wagon for a while before that derailed pretty significantly. Prior to that was even prior to Adam Reynolds signing there. So yeah, really uh, 
big vote of confidence both ways in, in the Eels and Moses and Moses and Parramatta. So you'll love to see that. Um, I don't think there's any other relevant news there, boys, or have I missed something? Mm, no. Okay. Well, we'll wrap up the news there. Uh, no more injuries or suspensions for the Eels out of that game. Like we said, the only game of the round, they have no Simbins uh, reports or send-offs. So, yeah, really well done in a in a crazy round they're going to talk about for a while. Uh, we went from being the dirtiest team. Yeah, to uh, being the Angels, the baby. Team. Yeah, the yeah. good boys. Um, let's start talking previews. Just two games this week because the Jersey Flick do have a bye. We'll start with the curtain raiser on Sunday. Out of Bank West, Parramatta Eels hosting the Blacktown Workers Seagulls, I believe that's what they're going as this year. Uh, yep. So, yeah, Blacktown Workers Seagulls. There you go. The working class Seagulls, who are actually trying to claim that title, by the way, in the media. That, um, <laughs> I didn't see that. We're, we're the Silver Tails now, we're, and they're the Fibros. So, uh, a fun little twist on the old tale there. But let's talk reserve grade first. Um, for the Eels, just a couple of changes facilitated by uh, some changes to NRL. And they look like this with Hayes Perham at fullback. Hayes Dunster is back on one wing. Uh, Sean Russell is on the other. Will Penasini and Michael Oldfield there in the centers. In the halves, Lola Talmud Arthur moves from the wing to 5'8 officially, partnering J- uh, Jacob Jordan Rankin in the halves. On the front row, you've got Makahesi Makatoa and Wiramu Greg, the usual front rowers. Nathaniel Roach getting the promotion this week. Probably going to play the full 80 minutes, which is exciting. In the back row, Ellie Elsgaham and Ray Stone are holding down the edges. Keegan Hipgrave is at lock. On the bench, you've got Shabel Tassapali, Kurt Dillon, and Kai Rodwell. With the new face that we teased earlier, Samuel Luizu uh, is there making his uh, senior football debut in terms of open age uh, footy, which is really cool to see. Not sure how they're going to use him, Ham. I think we were speaking before the podcast saying maybe he'll slot in at 5'8 at some point, uh, but they might have some sort of reshuffle out wide too set up for him but yeah this is a, a really cool one for the eels as they continue to develop those young kids well ahead of the grades they're eligible for they're taking on an opponent they're going to be very familiar with uh, looking at this team you've got uh, johnny Fanua. i mean everyone knows tim simona for good or bad there uh, alex seve former eel kurt delui former eel brad kieran former uh, magpie slash eel dane akafalau uh, denzel tanisi and is that it mate uh, Corey Apuri also played for the Mimpethville Magpies. There you go. So uh, a ton of – I mean, and it's funny, we say a ton, but um, that's actually – that Less than normal. Less than normal for, <laughs> uh, uh, for Seven the, of 17. Usually the, it's about uh, around 10 we, we've had We've had uh, as many as 13, I believe, uh, in some team lists for the uh, Blacktown Manly joint venture. So uh, Eels coming into this round third, like we mentioned in the review section of the podcast, Manly 11th. Um, that doesn't mean too much in these sort of contests. Manly having uh, two wins from eight starts, uh, negative four against of 112, which is the worst in the competition. They're actually running last. It's an 11-10 competition, by the way. Um, but you know you can't take them lightly. Um, but the Eels looking to really shore up their spot in the top four here, uh, trying to chase down the Magpies and the Panthers. Unfortunately, I won't be able to cover this game on TCT because we are doing a live show at Pablo's uh, sort of conflicting with this one which is really unfortunate because the show is really fun but i love my uh, reserve grade footy ham so we'll have to hopefully get the result uh, the bickies here in this one yeah well um barring their two wins the closest that the magpies have gotten to their opposition was a 14 point uh 30 to 16 to the night so so they're struggling uh, they're struggling pretty much big time um with the way we're cruising along um you know what I, I reckon I'm gonna put my house. Ha- I'm gonna put my house on it. I don't have a house because I'm a Gen Z. I think. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> but regardless of your generation, Sydney property market, mate. Yikes. Yeah. Um. One of our centres 
I'm, th- I'm going to guess Will is going to get a hat trick in this game. Ooh, I like it. I like it. That's that's my tip, I reckon. Yeah, this game won't be televised either because it clashes with the uh, earlier NRL or the two o'clock NRL broadcast. So, um, yeah, you just have to get your Twitter updates from Ham or uh, and you just have like. to get out there. Or, or like Ham said, buy your buddy ticket and get out there because it's going to be a really fun double header for those that do get there. Um, and it's going to be a bargain going to be a packed house. It's going to be a, it's going to be a day. bumping house because getting to the main event and you know it is mainly in the prelude, but it's also mainly in the main event. So it's our our sister club, our you know twin, or was it paternal uh, twin in terms of the inception year for them both in 1947. Uh, the Manly Ringer Seagulls are coming to town to take on the Parramatta Eels. Uh, Manly red hot on the back of the incredible form of Tom Tobojevic. Um, he's ignited them in a big way and brought a lot of other players into the game for them, guys that were struggling prior to him making his return from the uh, somewhat comical hamstring injury. He, um, he, he definitely didn't get from racing Harry. Old mate Harry <laughs> out at Manly. Um, but for Manly, they look like this. The uh, uh, prodigal Tom Tavojevic at fullback. Jason Saab, one of the big improvers from being a meme winger to being uh, a genuine speedster and weapon on one wing with Ruben Garrick on the other. Brad Parker and Morgan Harper, who has a terrible mustache, Morgan. So you just shave it in the centres. In the halves, Kate Cusp will partner Dally Cherry Evans, who is the captain for Manly. Uh, front row of Taniela Paseca, Lachlan Croker, and Martin Tapau. I wouldn't be shocked to see that switch before kickoff because they've been tweaking that front row in terms of starters and bench players for the last couple of weeks. In the back row, they've got Hamali Olakatua, uh, and then Josh Schuster and Jake Dubovic. Josh Schuster, another one of those exciting young players that's been doing some good things for Manly. On the bench, Moses Sully continues his transition from a back to a bench forward. Zach Sadler, Sean Kepi, to Fofoa, Sipley, and then extended roster of Ben Tobojevic, Tavita Funa, Christian Torpolotu, and George Tafua. So I think Manly on a – I think they've won five of the last six, I think is the way that they've uh, shaped it with a loss of penalty in between there somewhere. So coming in with plenty of good form. They're taking on an Eels outfit that looks like this. Just the one change from the team that knocked off the Warriors in round 10. Quentin Gufferson is captain and fullback. Uh, an unchanged backline beyond that with Mike Sivo and Blake Ferguson on the wings, Tom Opacic and Wanga Blake in the centres. Jacob Arthur will continue to partner Mitchell Moses in the halves this week with week two of that combination growing. Front row, but is always exciting to read out. Regan Campbell-Gillard, Reed Marnie and Junior Polo, uh, probably the best front row uh, trio in terms of uh, NRL teams or close to cross-competition. Uh, in the back row, Isaiah Papali'i, Ryan Madison, and Nathan Brown. On the bench, Oregon Kafusi, Sean Lane, and Bryce Cartwright are the 14, 15, and 17, respectively, unchanged from last week. But we've got a surprise selection. Um, almost fitting that it's up against Manly. Joey Lussick will play his second NRL game ever and make his club debut. Eel uh, 815, was it? 816? Uh, 815. 815. Uh, yep. as he yeah takes on the, the team that he debuted for and the team that has a, a lot of ties to the Lussick surname. So um, a great little storyline within a storyline there. Extended bench for the Eels is Ray Stone, Keegan Hipgrave, Hayes Dunster, and Jordan Rankin. Kickoff is 4.05 p.m. at Bank West. Boys, where do we want to start breaking down this one? Eels 145 favorites to Manly's 275, have won nine of the 13 games against Manly under Brad Alpha, but the Manly Seagulls do have the last start win, which was that uh, obnoxious defeat we suffered at uh, Brookvale last year, which really started our, our mini slide last year when we had uh, Mitchell Moses out, Blake Ferguson out, Ryan Madison out. Uh, in Mike Acevo got injured. Mike Acevo in got, uh, yeah, had, it got his soul stolen by Hank Scorpio uh, as uh, Brad Parker took out, uh, took out his knee and it didn't do officially huge damage to him, but it took out all his confidence. So that was a, a big loss last year. Um, Manly coming into this game, 
doing very well. They've beaten up on some bad teams, but you got to do that. Like that, that's not a knock on Manly. Um, Tom Tavoy, which been talk about the best player in the NRL this year, and he's you know it's hard to disagree. He's playing some great football, but the you know we talk about this on the podcast. Styles make fights. It's an old boxing adage, and the Eels under Brad Arthur have almost always played Manly really well. I think um, the key to this one, Mitchell Moses' kicking game. I think. You've got two very what they're six foot four, six foot five, Saab and Trapojevic. I think um, if you're going to kick to that side, you're kicking low. You're kicking low. That, you're that, and that is a tactic we've employed with great success against Tommy in the past, and it's yeah, helped. Absolutely. It's helped nullify him. Is a really focused uh, grub, like ground assault with grubber kicks and and low stabbing kicks stuff that takes away his ability to dominate the contest aerially and and sort of post up. The, the kick chase and, and split the line because he's so good at not only catching the ball but coming down and hitting the ground running. So, yeah, really interesting to see how the Eels tackle Tommy this week. Um, he's been so influential, um, particularly tacking down the right edge, I feel like, for Manly. He does a lot of his line break work down that side. Um, obviously, there's the interplay between him and his brother that they like to do as well, but Tommy in his own right is just so destructive and has linked up a lot with Jason Saab. I think, yeah, I think there's three, th- three key things to win in this game. Yeah, nullify Tom Trevojevic, what I think we can do. Uh, we've got to make sure Josh Schuster doesn't have a good game. I think young Josh being a Mount Pritchard boy, um, taken from us at 14, I think he was, 15, um, he'll be looking for a f- big game. So um, I think that'll be – he plays left. That's our right. So that's Maddo. Maddo and Jake. That's a cracking matchup right there. Yeah, it is. I think Maddo and Jake need to be really on their toes. Wanga Blake needs to be looking for that, um, maybe come up and in as he does, and really looking out for a pass out the back from Schuster there. And I think the third thing that will get the Eels home, and I think we get them home big, will be the crowd. I reckon Sunday Arvo, 4 p.m. Gus Gould reckons that Tigers fans love this Sunday afternoon football at four o'clock at Leichhardt. Well, I'll tell you what, Gus. So do the Eels, but we prefer it at Bankwest Stadium. Yeah, a real football venue, by the way. Uh, yeah, Leichhardt. There, there's Not a lot. A there's a lot of romance. To Leichhardt and people talk about suburban grounds. If you ever have to go consistently Leichhardt, like Ham and I do for the junior football, um, where there's not even big crowds at junior football, it still sucks going there. I just overrated. But yeah, um, Ham, uh, Ham Birdie, we, we spoke about Tom Devoyevich. Ham's mentioned guys like Josh Schuster. Uh, what do the Eels have to do, in your opinion, to win this one? Um, without mentioning those guys, just wrap up the offloads. You know, last time we played them, it was that it was that man uh, Brookie, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it was wet conditions. But um, to power and um, Fanua Blake, you know, we just couldn't stop the offload. That was we just there was a period in that time where we just couldn't stop anyone offloading against us. And if we can stop their second phase football, you know, Brad Arthur had the game plan um last time we played them at Bankwest where we shut down Boyevich, and it got to the point where Turbo was literally taking the surrender tackle every time. So he didn't avoid getting tackled back into into touch or in goal. So just stop the offloads, and you know um we should take care of him easily. That's I know it's simple, you know, and I sh- you know I don't want to sound like an armchair coach, but that's the only thing they've got is they got turbo and their offloads, and yeah, other than that, like should be it should be an easy game for us to be honest. Like I'm not that's that's not arrogance coming against us. It's just we are a top four, top three team, and look you look at them without turbo, they're a bottom four team. They're they're like West Tigers, you know, so. Yeah, other than that, um, just stop the offloads. This is a game for the Parramatta Eels forward pack to stand tall from both starters and bench. I mean, Manly got some contributors there. I know that Tapau's obviously, when he's on song, very destructive. And uh, Sean Kepi's actually been quite good for them in coming weeks, even though he's got an error in his game. Uh, but in terms of the middle forwards, you know, Reg, Junior, Brownie, Kafusi, Sean Lane, um, you know, and obviously Ice when he moves there from edge to middle. 
this is just a, a game where they can stand tall and, and take Manly completely out of his in conjunction with the kicking game from Moses that uh, Ham mentioned earlier. And probably also you've got to throw in Reed Barney and Jacob Arf there too, but primarily Mitchell Moses. Um, and I, I suppose the other narrative here, we, we mentioned the Lysic thing, but obviously Quinton Gufferson coming up against his junior club, up against another player that he played against in Tom Tavoy, which or played with. Um, Battle of the fullbacks will be a nice little sub-game or sub-duel within this game. Uh, Guffer coming off a, a relatively quiet game against New Zealand where he uh, had like a minor, I believe a minor ankle sprain earlier in the contest. Um, didn't have to get too involved. Um, I think the King will have a big game this weekend and I think he'll probably um, be close to the best on field. And speaking of uh, best on field boys, let's uh, transition smoothly to our predictions. First try scorers, uh, anytime try scorers you want to throw them out like we did with Jacob Arthur and uh, the margin. Um, who wants to go first this week? I, I want nominations. It's like primary school boys. Put your hands up first and get a gold star from the teacher. Well, I ain't no teacher pet, so I'm going last. <laughs> He's throwing him on the bus. Ham. Oh, oh, mate! I went to Doonside High School. You think I was a teacher's pet, <laughs> man? I, I went was to actually. School, I went to a school in Bankstown area. I don't think we learned anything, man. It's just <laughs> if you're in attendance, you got an A. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Ham, um, hit me with the prick the Roonies. Right. I'm liking the centers this week. I picked the center. Oh, in both grades. Patrick, yeah, grade. and Reggie's, and going with either Wanga on the right or uh, Tom Opacic on the left. Well, I'm going to say I reckon both centers will score a brace this week. Oh, sugar. Ooh. Oh. I, I reckon up against Brad Parker, up against Morgan Harper, and the halves, I think uh, Manly will be a bit too not gun. What's the opposite of gun shy? Gung ho. Yep. That's that's a good. Uh, that's a good one. I reckon they'll be a bit too gung ho on Jake. I reckon he'll. Uh, I reckon he'll get him on that side. So I reckon both centers will score a double. Right? So he's got at least four tries scoring. I'm looking forward to the margin now. Um, but first try scorer will be a forward. Oh, he's Righto. doubling down. Okay. I reckon Reg. I reckon he'll get another another pie. Reed does love Reed. feeding Reg. There, there is a bit of a bromance going on there. Uh, I think the two, probably the two of the biggest shit stories on the team, probably uh, <laughs> combining there with great regularity. Reg on an absolute tear in terms of four pointers. Yeah, I just reckon just Reed's dummy half work this year is just it's been on another level. Um, I think he'll catch out the big boys. You got Paseka to power. Jake's a pretty good defender, um, but I reckon he'll catch those big boys out, catch them napping a little bit, and uh, send Reg over. So. There's five tries. I'm chipping. At, at least five, uh, yeah. So are we talking 40 reckon plus I to go six weeks in a row, scoring 30 points or more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going 39. Bit of a disrespectful field goal somewhere. I like to it. To Parramatta and 16 to the uh, Manly Warringah City. 39, 16. All righty. I like it. Bertie, what have you got for us, mate? Um, I'm going to go center, but this time I need some help. So which side is, who's our left center? That would be Tommy Opacic. Okay. So Cherry Evans loves to dart out, you know, from the defensive line, you know, and put pressure on. So I'm thinking a little kick in behind and hoppa, dancing his way to the the board, scoring a try. Because, you know, I I just, you know, every time we, we, you watch Manly, you just see, he just rushes out the Cherry Evans and I think the players will be onto it, you know, like, um. You look at the Raiders game, like what all, Jack White did the same thing, and you know we know fighting with you know a couple of line breaks to um uh, to uh, I believe and all that. So I'm thinking twenty twenty five the two five yeah I reckon twenty five six and Turbo will be ineffective. I think he 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 will literally have no ball. We'll kick to touch, let them play the ball, and the only time he'll be effective is if he they bomb it. But um 
I'm thinking it's a masterclass from um from Mitchell Moses, and he'll put the stamp, you know, on the competition to say this. I'm the number two half, or possibly the best half. You know, I'm the best looking half. I don't have a chin and a forehead the size of a mango or some shit, but he's got the dreamy eyes, baby. Yeah, but um, I I just feel as though they all like people talk about there's there's a top you know top six and a bottom you know um ten or whatever. This this is going to show you why we're a, you know elite team and manly. Unfortunately, they don't got the pack to do it. So they're gonna they're a big team, no doubt. Like you look at their team one the one to seventeen, they're pretty big, but mm-hmm. they're, they're just they're nothing compared to us. Let's you know we're we're literally borderline rep players all you know all across except for the the centers. So yeah, I think we'll be a big uh, yeah. So as I said, first try scorer Opa margin twenty five six man of the match Mitch Moses. Good course, good course. And um, I'm predicting him to have four beers before halftime. <laughs> oh, I'm actually off the grog. This is the fourth week I've been off the grog, so. All right, four lattes before halftime. <laughs> <laughs> Going to get bloated off those lattes. We're buzzing. Yeah, bouncing <laughs> off the walls. Uh, for me, I think Blake Ferguson's due. He owes us a try after butchering uh, four pointers in consecutive games. He's going to go over first. Eels will win 30-8 to eight, or maybe 31-8 to eight if Mitch Moses feels so inclined to Slot that cheeky little field goal at the end, unless it's a forty grand, forty meter field goal, and it's thirty-two to eight. So all these permutations now, boys. Uh, but yeah, I think Eels uh, to continue rolling on. I think Manly will uh, come out firing, but Parramatta will absorb it. Uh, Tom Tavoyevich will hopefully be nullified on the back of what we tend to do pretty well against a lot of teams and taking away their best attacking threats. Uh, and yeah, and in terms of the other try scorers, I think the Eels will probably spread out the love. I wouldn't be surprised to see another Reagan Campbell Gillard try ham. Uh, seeing Reg and, and Reed continue their prolific partnership there uh, for the prolific partnership for the Parramatta Eels and the prop forwards or the P's. Um, and yeah, we haven't got a tip from Hamish this week, unfortunately. I don't know if we want to do mean predictions for him. We'll just get out of here because we've been here for a while. Um, that's up to you, boys. I've got a hot take, really. All right. This, yeah. is, this is on behalf of Hamish. This no, no, no. This is, this is just, no, no. This is Because if this just gets off, you know, this is all me. We're going to score four tries. Two of them will come from the bench. Sean Lane and the Kafusi. Oh yeah, uh, two, oh, the yeah. bench is going to win oh, us the yeah. game. So even though I tip Moses to be man of the match, but I no, it's Hamish's tip. And uh, Birdie, oh. to his credit, doing the maths there, he did tip a twenty-five point win, four tries and a field goal there, Birdie. I like it, mate. So yeah, I just had to make sure I actually got uh, the maths right. No, you know, we, like, I was like, we can on. count, we can count better than the Queenslanders. It's doing okay. So <laughs> I think but, we'll wrap it up there, boys. Um, I know NBA finals starting now, NFL rookie camp starting, Birdie. So we have a bit of stuff to talk about in the coming weeks. Yep. But uh, for, the time, for the time being, I think we'll wrap it up as we head into round 11 with that homestand doubleheader between the Cup and the NRL. And uh, hopefully a lot to talk about coming out of that as the Eels look to continue their run uh, to potentially the minor premiership, the way things are going. It's going to, if uh, both us and Penrith keep winning, it'll be between the head-to-head match uh, for home and away there. So exciting times. And, uh, we've, got, yeah. we've got a bit of catching up to the points differential, but... Yes, but if you no. if you win both times against Penrith, then points differential means nothing. Because you assume that you you keep winning out. Oh yeah, yeah. But like, can I say that's going to be crazy Friday well, night? It is on, on that note. It is worth mentioning that the Eels have an outstanding four and against of one hundred and fifty two after ten rounds. It's just that the Melbourne Storm two hundred and ten and the Panthers two hundred and thirty six have ridiculous uh, points for differential relative Insane. to the time of the year. Uh, the and the Roosters are, who just blow the Eels on one hundred and thirty seven. It is just ridiculous at this point in time what is happening at the top of the ladder. Um, professional joints in the top four or five spots there. I mean, five, definitely. The Roosters just ravaged by injuries. Uh, and the Rabbitohs, who got spanked by Melbourne, probably half a notch down there from there at the moment. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, well done to those you know, five franchises, including Parramatta, for doing the right thing. But 
some crazy stuff happening in our boys. And on that note, let's sign off. And um, for you know, our hordes of adoring listeners, we'll catch you guys next week. Hopefully with Hamish back. Um, he was once again caught up with some real life stuff. And we are looking forward to getting him back running the show, boys. Catch you. Go Eels.